Welcome to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast with Dr. Steve Albrecht, and I am the very same Dr. Steve Albrecht, and this podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Harganon. My topic for this half hour is a continuation of discussion I have had in a lot of my training programs for Library 2.0 and a lot of my podcasts and blogs for Library 2.0 on patrons and patron behavior, and I have over the years created a list of kind of the 10 most challenging patrons and sometimes it's the most 12 challenging patrons and sometimes it's the 15 most challenging patrons and when I think about challenging it's a it's a concept that came to me a long time ago when I started back 20 years ago over 20 years ago doing library security and safety training where the term of art back in those days was difficult the patron was difficult they were rude or entitled or obnoxious or angry or threatening or furious or sad or anxious and demanding and sometimes threatening. And so the phrase that was used back then, at least around the library people that I knew, was, was difficult. And several years after that, one of my library clients came to me, the director, a very empathic woman in, in the northern part of, of uh, San Diego, and said, can we change, can you change, can we change as an, as an entity the concept of the, the difficult patron into the challenging patron? And she was absolutely right. And I embraced that concept and said, you're right, sometimes they're challenging. They could be little kids. Uh, they could be people that don't speak English. They could be elderly people that have uh, cognitive issues or dementia or early Alzheimer's. They could be uh, people that are um, new to the library experience and frustrated by it. They are people who don't understand the technology and the speed and pace of life that's going a thousand miles an hour and everything's about your phone and the internet and the apps and all that type of stuff. So she was absolutely right and I thought about this concept of the challenging patron and that became my approach to how I would see certain behavioral concerns of, of patrons that, and to go back to what I always talk about, how they impact the business in a negative way. You know, lots of people that we deal with in our lives are demanding and eccentric. It could be our family members, could be people that are related to us, people that we know and love and care about. But that doesn't mean we don't try to help them. It doesn't mean we don't try to do our best for them. It's just sometimes we have to have some patience, especially with people who are impatient, which is sort of ironic, right? We have to be empathic to people who are not particularly empathic back to us. Uh, we have to be open-minded for people who are not necessarily seeing our issues and concerns and the burdens we all carry around, that, that they're stuck in kind of selfish patterns or even narcissistic patterns. So when I think about this idea of a, a new collection or an added set of challenging patrons, this collection of 12 uh, more challenging patrons, uh, we go back to something I've talked about in the training programs a lot, and sometimes I think people misconstrue, which is that somehow these are are profiling people or that we're making a value judgment, or at least they accuse me of making a value judgment, when in reality these are archetypes. Archetypes defined is a way of looking at a collection of behaviors that's done by one or more people that sort of makes up a description of behaviors. And so when we think about some of these characteristics in these people, it could be an archetype of several people that come into your library or one person comes in. The other thing I get a lot from talking to library staff is that they spend a lot of time in kind of the 80-20 world. The 80-20 world is 80% of their challenging patrons is 20% of the total people that come in. 
And if we were to break that down even more, 80% of those, 20% is probably the, the, the biggest behavioral issue and not all of them are problematic. But sometimes they just impact the business in a negative way. Sometimes they just drive staff crazy. Sometimes they, they drive the leadership uh, who have to intervene in some of these situations crazy because they're, sometimes their issues are not fixable or, or unfixable and, and are challenging in, a, in how to even you know, create the kind of environment that we want. The other part of that is that sometimes we have frequent flyers that come in and you say, wow, I'm going to be around this person as part of my library work for maybe a long time. I mean, until they move away or, or stop coming here, they're going to be part of my library work as a staff member, as a supervisor, as the pick for a long time. Maybe it's daily I see these people. Maybe it's weekly. Maybe I see these people and half the time their behavior is reasonable and the other half the time it's not. And I have to guess which time it is when I come in, which is, which is tough. Sometimes you say, well, who am I getting today in terms of this person's behavior? So when I look at the totality of these 12 types, these challenging patrons kind of added on to my other list, I always think about context. And context is important. What drives you crazy doesn't drive me crazy and vice versa. Uh, as I've gotten older, I have less less um, tolerance for noise, and and you know the noise that I hear from people using their cell phones to make speakerphone calls in quiet places, or people are watching videos when I'm trying to eat in a restaurant. That stuff drives me crazy, which perhaps didn't even five years ago. So maybe your patience for certain things is more advanced than mine, or more advanced than a colleague or a coworker. Maybe your ability to handle situations that kind of drove you crazy 10 years ago but don't now and you have more patience and empathy for them, good on you, right? If there are things that make you crazy now that didn't before, you have to have a different set of tools for your toolkit to help get through your shift. I understand that. So context is important. What this person means to do is not typically ruin your day. What this person, this patron, challenging patron means to do is not, is not ruin the experience in the library for other people. But sometimes they just can't help themselves because they are so caught up in whatever the behavioral issue is, and they demonstrate this archetype, this description. I, you know, I hesitate to use the word labels or profiles. It's not about that. It's about a description, a collection of behaviors, which is this archetype, over and over again. So does this person's behavior hurt the business of the library? Then we address it if the answer is yes. If it's just eccentric and no one seems to care or notice it, then move on with your rest of your duties and, and don't, don't give it a moment's thought. When you look at human behavior, can we change how people are? No. I mean, it's up to them. And they, they don't, sometimes people only change at, at the threat of consequences. And the threat of consequences doesn't mean kicking them out all the time or you know restraining orders or horrible end, end game things like that. It's just simply saying over and over again, you can't do that if you want to stay here. And we, we have a duty to provide a safe environment for everybody and we don't want people driving folks out of the library who become afraid to use the library or who don't want to um, come to the library because one person on the library floor messes up their, their afternoon because they're loud or obnoxious or threatening or that they do things that scare this person away or their kids or you know an elderly person who feels afraid for his or her safety. So context is important, impact on the business is important. This sense of, of what we will tolerate should not really be on a sliding scale from the standpoint of we tolerate things that are getting worse by the day 
we kind of have a in some libraries, and I see this. Uh, maybe you've seen it as well, and it's it can be challenging to you, or you know, cause you to think about how coworkers or supervisors have handled things. Where you say, you know, are we consistent, or is it a sliding scale of behavior? Does do we see different things that are enforced in terms of the code of conduct on Monday, but not on Tuesday? And obviously, my biggest concern with that is that it sends a mixed message to the challenging patron, which is, well, maybe I can get away with this today. Um, or they got let me get away with it yesterday, and so I'll get away with it today. Instead of saying every day, Monday through Saturday, Monday through Sunday, Monday through Monday, we run a tight ship. We enforce the code of conduct to the point where it's the same for everybody: little kids, adults, frequent flyers, people we've never seen before, people we see every day. We just have this sense of of enforcing the code of conduct in a positive, polite, but firm way so that there's no mixed messages about what people can do in the library. It's students, uh, people that come in on a regular basis and think, well, you know, uh, when I, I do this at other libraries and I can get away with it and cause disruption and they never say anything, they just look away or walk away. That's not what we want at our library. And I've always said this a million times, we have a invitee relationship where people come into the facility and we have a duty of care for them. And people are eccentric and we can't always pick our clients and customers and patrons that walk through the door and we have a sense of who we get is who we get. But for us, it's about service and for us, it's about safety and for us, it's about security and for us, it's about a good time, a boring day, another boring day at the library where nothing eventful happened and people enjoyed the facility and see you tomorrow. And that's what I always think about as my goal every single day, peace as opposed to justice. So let's start off with this collection of 12. One, one person I would put into this category is what I would, prefer, what I would call the patron who is lonely or needy. And, and this person is, is usually quite harmless, but sometimes they can have boundary issues because they don't have a lot of friends. And maybe they see you in the library as someone who listens to their stories and listens to their tales of woe and their concerns. And, and, and you can be empathic and help them and, and certainly useful to them in terms of some advice. Maybe you help them in things with their life that are obstacles. You help them get over some of those obstacles. You know, think about people that you've helped with programs and government services and enrolling in things and access to advice and information that can be helpful for them in their lives. But sometimes the lonely or needy patron is, is, won't let you break away and go help somebody else. So they follow you around the library or they make a beeline for you when they see you and they spend most of the time in the library trying to talk to you about things that are happening in life and not necessarily, you know, things that you can provide information or advice or support or answers to. They just want to talk, which is fine, except sometimes, you know, being lonely and needy means that, that you are really grasping onto people that, and wanting to spend time with them. And, and kind of what happens there, and we may have seen this in your own life with other people, family members or, or friends, is that too much of them sometimes becomes irritating. Too much of them becomes like, oh, no, here she, here she comes again, and here he comes again. And you make excuses to, to get away from them because sometimes they wear out their welcome. I think the, the challenge for the lonely or the needy patron is to have good personal and professional boundaries with that person. But sometimes just being firm enough to say, hey, um, I, I need to step away and do some other things. You know, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Uh, but I, you know, I, ha I have to go help other people. Or I have to go do another part of my job. And so now's not a good time. You know, maybe tomorrow's better or the next time I see you, you know, we'll, we'll talk some more. And we set, you know, some of those kind of boundaries about enough is enough if that's what it feels like to you. 
I think about kind of a similar type of patron is the one who monopolizes staff time. And the person who monopolizes staff time oftentimes comes in with really complex issues, unsolvable or hard to solve problems that, that involve a lot of computer time, a lot of internet time for you, a lot of research time for you. And it's not that you are not willing to do those things. It's just you say, wow, I, I thought this would take 15 minutes. Turns out it takes two hours. And, and this person comes in with things that, that they want you to help them on that social services can't help them with. Or they come in and want help with things that have been a 10-year problem for them and not, a, not a, a six-month problem. Or they come in and they talk to you about stuff which they are not. And this is the challenge with this type of patron is they're not satisfied with the answer. And so you say, how about this? And they go, that won't work. And you say, well, how about, well, could you try that? And they go, that won't work either. And, and so sometimes, you know, you can hit the tennis ball back and forth a, a thousand times. And all they, they tell you is, uh, that won't work, or I've tried that, it didn't work. And then what else can you do for me in terms of an answer is, don't you know how to solve all my problems? Because you're an information processor, an information researcher. You're someone who's a, a professional librarian. Why, why don't you know all the answers to everything in the world? And it can be really challenging to say, here's the best I can think of. And oftentimes for this group, I think one of your strategies is to use the rule of three. And the rule of three is these are the best three things, or the three best things, or the three most likely solutions for you that I can think of. And they go, well, none of those will work. Or I tried those and they didn't work. Or that, that person never called me back. Or that, that entity never responded to my emails or whatever. And then you say, you know, I've been thinking about it. And I'm, I'm back to the three things again, which is, you know, the best I can think of for these particular situations is the same three things I just, I just said to you. Because what you're trying to do for them is not hit the tennis ball or the ping pong ball or the paddle ball, whatever, the pickleball, back and forth. Uh, ad infinitum until you're exhausted, but just say, it's not up to me to help with those things beyond what I can think of beyond these three. If we've tried a lot of things, these are the final three that I I'm, I'm really think I can do for you. And sometimes they realize that it's up to them and it's up to your best support and help and advice to give them those three, the final three answers. If it was, you know, we're on a game show, that's our final answers to say these are the things I think will work best for you and say it's up to you, patron, to go and, and try. And so that, that monopoly of staff time is kind of like the lonely or the needy patron, which is I've got to go do another part of my job. And if there's no one else around, you don't say, you know, I need to go help somebody else. There's nobody else there. You say, I need to go and do another part of my job. And it's about the boundaries. <laughs> I tell you one that comes up a lot in my live training programs, and not usually for the larger group, but people come and talk to me uh, off to the side, which is the staring patron. And I've written about this person, and I've puzzled over it and puzzled over it, as, as the Grinch said in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, until my puzzler is sore. I don't know a perfect answer for, and I get this mostly from female, patron, or female employees with a male patron. Um, I've, I've not seen other examples where female patrons stare at male employees. It may happen, but it's never, it's never come to my attention. And so what we see is this person stares at a female staff member, one or more of them, staff members, and, and it's done in protect, particularly an irritating way or, or a sexually provocative way or a way that seems like they're leering or sometimes just done because the person seems bored and just wants to watch you do your work. But a lot of library staffers that I talk to get highly offended and, and I understand it. It doesn't happen to me, obviously, sitting in my office by myself. But I understand their, their anger, and I understand how they get offended by the behavior. And I understand, as best as a man can understand, that sometimes women feel this is intimidating behavior. Sometimes it's, it's, 
it's inappropriate behavior. It makes them feel uncomfortable. Uh, it makes them feel like this person is sort of sizing them up, you know, as a as a as a as a woman, and I, they don't like it. And I get it. Uh, I think the challenge for this type of patron, and this is this is really the the struggle that we have when we talk about this collectively with with library staffers is to confront it and say, it seems like you're staring at me, and I wish I you know I'd like you not to do it. I, I could be wrong. And uh, I'll give you this benefit of the doubt for this particular moment here, but I, I'd like you to stop e either way. And if you think about this sense of the staring, it's about boundaries. And it's about calling this person out in, a, in an assertive way, which is, which is challenging. Sometimes this can be embarrassing for the staff member. It, it feels, I, I hear this a lot from employees, which is why do I have to, dis why do I have to discuss this? Why do I have to mention this to a, to a patron? Why don't they just not do it? And my answer is, I don't know why they do this. I don't know whether it has a sexual connotation to it. I don't know whether it has a boredom connotation to it. I don't know whether it's related to autism or Asperger's uh, spectrum issues. I don't, I don't know whether they realize they're doing it or they don't realize they're doing it. I don't, I don't sometimes, um, I can't always tell whether they get some sort of kick out of it or they find it um, um, the attention that it creates when they do this to be a good thing for them, it's, it's a head scratcher for me. And, and I, the other problem I get with when I hear talk, library employees talk about this, what, what they say is if we do have the courage to confront this person's behavior and tell them to stop, it only lasts for a short period of time, a week, a day, a month, and then it starts back up again. I have thought about this for those types of patrons who may be uh, cognitively uh, impaired or have, could be elderly or could have um, um, issues around, uh, cognitive issues around Asperger's or autism or things like that, where they may have a caregiver or they may have a person who, who watches for them in the library. And you could talk to that person and say, hey, can you help me? Uh, I may be wrong and, and it, it's what, what it seems to me is this person staring at me and makes me uncomfortable, makes other coworkers uncomfortable. Could you help us with this solution for that? That may be possible if you're able to talk to the person who's the caregiver. Maybe the supervisor is the one who has to, to step in in these situations. And here's the issue there. Maybe it has to happen multiple times. That's the biggest challenge of, of this collection of, of people that we're talking about here. There is a group of people, and it could be one person or a group of people. It's what I call the triple E patrons, entitled, eccentric, and exasperating. Uh, I, I wrote about them, talked about them in the Safe Library book and in my chapter about challenging patron behavior. I think there's 12 to 15, and this is one of them. The triple E patrons, entitled, eccentric, exasperating, they're entitled to your attention. They're entitled to be rude to other patrons. They're entitled to be rude to other staff members. That's just how they feel. Um, they can be eccentric in their approach to life. They can be politically eccentric. They can be behaviorally eccentric. They can be... Um, pushing the boundaries of polite behavior around other people in social situations all the time. They may say things just to see if they get a rise out of people. They may say things to get people intentionally angry. They may say things to get themselves kicked out of the library on purpose, just to see what the reaction is going to be. And the last one, this idea of, of exasperating, is they can drive staff members crazy especially if they're in that frequent flyer modality, which is here, this person comes again, they say rude things, they say sexually inappropriate things, they say racially inappropriate things, they say politically inappropriate things, 
Um, they swim upstream in terms of the norm of people gathering in a public place, strangers gathering in a public place, because they like to be provocative. They like to draw negative attention to them, which, again, to me, is, as an introvert, and you may be the same, is a head-scratcher because it's like, why do you draw negative attention to yourself? Why would you put yourself in a, in a position where people look at you with, with disgust or with anger or, or with fear or about what you're going to do? Why would you do that on a regular basis? And that's that, that and, and the combination of these three, right, entitled, eccentric, and exasperating, or entitled and eccentric who becomes exasperating is really a big challenge. If we break it down, the entitled person is that one who has, and this is the interesting part, they have low self-esteem, and so they mask that with bullying behavior. They mask it with bravado. They mask it with, you know, provocative statements like, you work for me, or I pay your salary, or my taxes pay your salary, and I demand that you this, this, and this. And they don't typically thank you for your efforts. They don't, if they do appreciate what you've done for them, it seems uh, subterranean. They don't, they don't express it because that would be a, them, them saying thank you to you would be a sign of weakness perhaps for them. They're... Impatience sometimes bleeds over to conflicts with other patrons, which is they'll cut in line or they'll interrupt a conversation that you're having with a patron about something or they'll just step in and hand you something or, or ask you to check out something or do whatever it is that, that cuts in front of the other person. They tend to be dismissive of other people just like they're dismissive of your efforts. And sometimes it feels like nothing you can do for them at that entitled level is sufficient. And so here's the deal about these people. The low self-esteem thing is, you know, may have come from childhood or whatever, but that's hard to fix. From our, our perspective, it's hard to fix. And I guess if we look at some good news and we put good news in quotes, they do this with everybody. They do this with everybody. They do it at the bank. They do it at the restaurant. They do it at the coffee shop. They do it with everybody. That doesn't make it right. But they can be sarcastic. They can be demeaning. They talk down to people. They can be intrusive. They have this sense of urgency and impatience, which sort of spills over to, you know, help me, uh, I, even though I'm not, I'm not, you know, next in line. The eccentric patron sometimes can be deceiving because this person could be the wealthiest person in town, but but comes in in filthy clothing, and you think is, you know, is this person homeless? And then it turns out they're you know, they're rich like Rockefeller. Uh, this person may have pretty serious mental health issues, but not so much so that they're on medication or in a facility because they have enough income to take care of themselves and they're able to take care of themselves physically and, and, or they have a caregiver. Uh, I've seen people that, you know, act eccentrically by passing gas intentionally in the library. I've seen um, them having nonsensical conversations. Um, I, I've seen um, them sort of just wander over and take a book from somebody who's reading it. And so it's like they're not, they're not wanting to cause a confrontation, but they have really poor social intelligence, poor social intelligence skills. They can't read the room and do the right thing. So there, you know, our approach is to monitor their behavior and say, can't do that if you want to stay here, for, is my classic phrase, that we enforce boundaries and consequences and say, you can stay, but you can't do those things. And then the other part of eccentricity, again, being on the, be the eye of the beholder, is do you see this as amusing, whereas your, your coworker sees it as irritating? Do you see it as irritating and your coworker says, well, it's the big deal, it's, you know, that person's harmless? And do you look at them and say, it, you know, based on my conversations with them, nothing seems to work. It can be frustrating as to what the solution is. So maybe it's a team conversation, a staff conversation about what, what this person does, 
to create a sort of sense of better boundaries by saying, well, here's what this guy does when he comes in when I'm working here. And someone else may say, here's what he does when I come in when I'm working here when he comes in and maybe completely different. And we, we can create a set of sort of boundaries based on sort of the edges of what his behavior tends to be. The exasperating patron is kind of a double-edged sword. They, they make you exasperated and they are exasperated themselves. The exasperated patron kind of goes back to the idea of, of the sense of what is um, tolerable for everybody else is not for them. They're super impatient. They, they do not want to stand in line. They, they just don't think the rules apply to them. I mean, they may, you know, ask somebody to get off of the Internet screen that they're using, just like they would interrupt somebody at the gym and say, hey, I want to use that piece of equipment. Um, they may pepper you with a thousand questions. Um, they may be the person that likes to argue and debate with other patrons about just whatever is, you know, politically concerning to them or whatever's under the sun that particular day. Um, they don't seem to learn from past poor social encounters with others or with you. And so they become exasperating to other people, including you or, or other patrons. And they become uh, oftentimes start off as exasperating to themselves because the world is just not going fast enough or it's not going the direction that they want. So it's an impatience. Um, it, it's a, a tendency not to want to follow or care about um, code of conduct. Uh, when I think about these, all three of these people, ex exasperation and, and eccentricity and, and this idea that you know, it can be a combination of, of, of that versus entitled, I think sometimes you got to do the best you can is the best you can and say, my job is not to psychoanalyze people and my job is not to figure out you know, what their, their personal issues are. My job is to provide good, safe uh, service to them. I'll be empath empathic and patient, but I'll be neutral. Uh, I'm not going to let them push my hot buttons. I'm not going to answer when they say, oh, I pay your salary and that kind of rude stuff. Uh, I'm not going to let them push my hot buttons. They may make comments about my clothing or hair or appearance or skin color or weight or whatever. I'm not going to rise up. Uh, I won't let them talk to me that way. I'll disengage by saying, um, you know, I, I can't speak to you if you're going to use that, those, that language to me. It's, it's not what I do and walk away and your bosses should support that. Uh, I, I think sometimes you can take it personally when you say it's their personality and it's not me that they're particularly exasperated or upset with, it's life in general, and they find life very frustrating. And so it's not me, it's, it's, it's the way that they see the world, their particular worldview. I think you're firm and fair and consistent. I think you're reasonable and assertive with them. I think you set a professional standard of what you're going to do with them, and you stick with it. One thing that may work for them, which seems sort of um, um, counterintuitive, is the idea of a praise, which is, hey, thanks for your patience. I appreciate you waiting over there until I could come over. How can I help you today? Sometimes what they're looking for is a little praise for how they managed to get through the system of, a, of yet another day, how they managed to get through the, the difficulty of another day. And sometimes you can just say, hey, I, you know, Sounds like you got a lot of got not going. I, you know, I understand what's happening. I will help you best I can. I appreciate your patience. Let's see what we can do. You know, I can I can do as much as I can for you in about the next ten minutes or so, and then just set boundaries. And then the other part is don't take them home inside your head. Leave the tough conversations that you had with them, however obnoxious or rude or exasperating they were, inside, and say that's that's enough. And I'm going home and come back another day. And I'm not gonna 
let them ruin my night. And I'm not going to scorekeep and say, well, you know, I put up with this, this much with this person. It's time for somebody else to do it. Say, tomorrow's going to be another day. Maybe they'll be better. Maybe not. But I'm going to be just as hopeful that I can handle the situation and with some help from colleagues or bosses as necessary and keep on moving. Keep on doing your thing and knowing you're doing the right. So one of the ones in terms of really challenging to me, patrons, is the person who used racist language. And this person may have really significant cognitive issues. Could be elderly, could have had head trauma, could have had a brain injury, um, could have sort of a um, uh, outburst kind of a issue in their personality. It could be based on a stroke or aphasia or something else where they just really can't control their language. Now, that's not an excuse for racist language, certainly. What it says is there may be a, a medical reason for why they do this, and I have seen this in, in the healthcare environment for sure. But I, I think also there's a percentage of people that use racist or, or you know, sexist language, especially racist language particularly, um, intentionally to get a rise out of people to see what you're going to do and to say, is this person going to enforce consequences and kick me out of the library? Then, then, then I'll deal with that because a lot of times I'll go places where they don't kick me out. I'll do this at Starbucks or someplace and they don't kick me out. I think they ought to be kicked out directly. And here's why. In the year of our Lord 2023, when I'm recording this, there is no excuse for this language, no excuse for this to say, I didn't know. No way that a person could say, using racist language, you know, referring to Nazis or Hitler or anything like that, or denigrating a certain religious or ethnic group or persons of color. There's no way that person could, could understand in 2023 that that's somehow reasonable or appropriate. No way. It, it's, it's not the 1940s. It's not, it's not, you know, I can go to the airport and joke about guns and bombs and, and terrorism in 2023 and not expected to be arrested by, by the airport cops or the TSA. Uh, no way. They have to know that that stuff is wrong, and they have to know it at a deep cellular level, that it, it infuriates, embarrasses, irritates, antagonizes most other normal people who don't talk that way. So I don't, in my response to these people, I don't cut them any slack. I don't say, this is your first warning. I go, you're out. You can't do this in my library. You can't talk that way. You can't use that type of language in my library. And, and maybe their, their rationalization excuse is I was just kidding or I was joking around or, you know, I didn't really mean it or, you know, I'm just, I'm just reading what – I'm just repeating back what I heard on, on some, you know, cable news show or, or TV program or the Internet. That's no excuse. I have zero tolerance, as in Z-E-R-O, zero tolerance for these types of people saying this thing, especially around kids, especially around staff members, especially around people of color. I have zero tolerance for this. They should be kicked out. And if the behavior continues, then the library director looks at permanent banning or at least a, a significant ban that says this is something that our library doesn't tolerate. Now, at the other end of that spectrum, I have seen them, when they try to defend this type of horrible language and behavior, say, well, it's free speech. And I'm like, too bad. I don't buy it. You're not a lawyer, and I'm not one either, I'm saying to them, right? Um, but show me where you can use hate speech in a public place and, and people will tolerate it. Free speech is, is, has limits and free speech is not unlimited to say whatever you want. I don't care what the Constitution says when it comes to racist hate language. I, I, I just say, okay, go, go out and stand in the middle of the street and, and scream all you want about this. Go, go, you know, go down to the end of the block and scream it all you want. But in our facility, 
this stuff hurts the business. In our facility, this stuff makes people afraid. In our facility, it makes people angry. And our facility is not tolerated. So then, let me switch over to a, a kind of a, um, a collection of patron behaviors. And it may have um, something that you see. It may have um, reasons for why this exists. And it really goes down to caregivers in two areas. One is the caregiver who is taking care of a child who ignores that child. And the child wanders off and you know gets, gets behind the scenes at the library and ends up in the break room where the kid goes outside and we find him or her you know playing in the fountain at four years old. Or the kid's on another floor and managed to get into the elevator and get upstairs. Or the kid's in tears, you know, fell down the stairs going to another part of the library and the, and the parent or the caregiver, and it could be a babysitter, could be a relative, is nowhere to be found. That's not abuse from the standpoint of, of they physically harm this child, but it's, it's, a, it's the same sort of malfeasance, which is you don't, you're not paying attention to this kid and something bad could happen. So we have to talk to them. Sort of the worse end of that spectrum, the other side of that person's behavior around this kid is the person who intentionally abuses the child. And this could be emotional abuse, or specifically physical abuse, whether it's an, a parent or a caregiver, a babysitter, or someone who's supposed to watch this child and is actually abusing this kid. And there are two types of abuse, emotional abuse, where the child believes they're going to be physically harmed by this person. They are threatened, you know, I'm going to kill you, and the kid believes it. Or we actually see this person hit this child or inflict corporal punishment on this child. I've talked to a lot of library people and they say, I'd go over and you know, grab this person and tell them they can't do that in my library. And that's admirable, but it's, it's, it's the wrong approach. Uh, it, it's, it's a good way to get sued or even arrested. And you know, your intentions sometimes get misconstrued. Um, what I would do in those situations is try to gather as much information as I could about who was involved in that. I'd call Child Protective Services as soon as the people left, as soon as it was safe to do so. And I've talked a lot about this and I've, I've done uh, podcasts and webinars on adult protective services and the elderly and child protective services for kids about in, in initiating a, an investigative protocol about these things by calling the CPS or APS number in your county to say, here's what I saw. And maybe they know a lot about this caregiver, and I use that term in quotes because they're not giving care, they're abusive already. Or maybe you start a, a, a discussion amongst them that they invest, start an investigation with the cops or with uh, other social workers, and they get this kid out of harm's way. Other side of that coin is the elderly. And here, we may have an elderly person who, a couple ways to think about it. One, we have an elderly person who cannot care for themselves physically, pretty serious cognitive issues, dementia, Alzheimer's, and they're wandering in a library. They, they end up getting hurt or fall down or get into a place where they're, you know, they get stuck or something like that. They can't, can't get up. They fall down in the restroom or they're in some part of the library they're not supposed to be and they don't realize it because they are either not being supervised by somebody who's supposed to watch out for them or they've come on their own and it's at a crossroads time in their life where they need care and they need, they need someone to watch out for them. That's a hard conversation to have as well. But if you can figure out who this person's family members are, or who caregivers are, or even their doctor or something like that, it, that's the kind of conversation to say, hey, we're worried about this person's safety at their level of age in our library, it's, it's become a concern as we witness. And sometimes we have to have, you know, family members have to get involved to say, well, I used to think he was okay, he could drive himself to the library, and, and, but it's clear that's not happening anymore. The second part 
goes back to what I said about the kids, which is this elderly person is being abused by a caregiver. And here, again, caregiver in quotes, they're not giving care, they're abusive. The caregiver could be a family member, it could be a home health aide, it could be a stranger that this per- has wormed this way into this person's life. Uh, we've seen it with homeless people, we've seen it with church people, we've seen it with uh, neighbors that somehow uh, you know move into this person's life. They are physically abusive, emotionally abusive, and then of course, the, the primary driver for elder abuse is financial abuse. In that situation, again, how much information can you glean from the person who is the victim to call Adult Protective Services, a different entity than CPS, obviously, other end of the spectrum. Uh, In some states, it's 60 years old. In some states, it's 65, where they are elderly, or if they're a developmentally uh, or cognitively disabled adult who cannot care for himself or herself, that's 18 to 64 or 18 18 to 59 call APS and say, this is what I know, this is what I have witnessed, this is what I have seen, I'm concerned about this person's safety. Again, they will start an investigative discussion amongst their colleagues as social workers, make contact if they can, figure out what they need to do. Last three, I think about the perpetually angry patron, always upset. And this is what I would call a professional irritator. They're either irritating other people or they're irritated. That's kind of different than the exasperated patron. The irritating, perpetually angry, endlessly angry patron is has anger issues. They're explosive. They take a small thing and blow it up. Um, you say, you know, we're out of that book, and maybe you know I can put it on hold for how dare I, what this is an outrage, and they just blow up, right? They explode. I'm not always sure how to handle that person other than to let them vent and not argue with them about stuff and let them be as loud as they can be uh, in a public space and not engage in a, in a battle with them to sometimes help them realize I'm being ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm being way over the top about this. Sometimes they recognize that their anger is out of control. Sometimes they're working on it with medication and therapy and, and you know behavioral help, but sometimes not. But I have seen anger with people really ruin their lives. I mean, road rage, and they do stuff in a you know, parking lot to get them arrested. Uh, they do stuff in domestic violence or child abuse. They do stuff at work that gets them fired. And anger is an interesting emotion in our world in terms of consequences. And oftentimes these people that have these consequences, including getting kicked out of the library or banned for being angry and threatening to other people, including staff or patrons, they don't realize the impact until it's too late. They end up in jail, they end up in the hospital, they end up fired, they end up you know, uh, uh, out of their particular family relationships with kids or, or spouse or partner because of their anger, and oftentimes they don't see the light until it's too late. For these people, I say, pay attention to the safety and security part, but stand your ground and say, you can't scream at me, and I, I can't help you if you scream at me. I just, it's against our policy for you to scream at me, and I, if you're gonna curse or yell or lose your temper, I've gotta, I, gotta, I have to walk away, just can't do it. No consequences for their behavior, which they do a lot, it's gonna continue. And I think we have to enforce consequences by saying, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to provide service to you if you scream and yell. And, and the problem with these folks, and I've seen it, maybe you have too, is they, the smallest thing makes them furious. The smallest thing makes them over-the-top angry. And they take their anger personally. You know, someone, someone uh, you know, brushes past them and says, excuse me, they start cursing at them and say, how dare you, you, know, you assault me. They, it's, they're hypersensitive. They're, their anger is really over-the-top. Last two. The technologically confused patron. This person, despite your best efforts and and help to try to get them to be able to use the internet or the mouse or the keyboard or the laptop or the tablet or the game, 
or the PC uh, uh, software that they're attempting to use, they just don't, they can't remember it. They don't want to remember it. They get frustrated super easy. So here, I think we really have to grease the skids for success. I think we have to use things like, like cheat sheets and templates and send them to YouTube and write down more than once, maybe several days, weeks in a row, the answers, in instructions, steps, uh, protocols, step-by-step -step process for certain things for them to use. Click on this first, and I go over to this, click on that, so that they can start to memorize and remember. Because you know, oftentimes I see they lose the piece of paper you gave them yesterday about this, how, to, how to work the piece of software. And sometimes I think there's a learned helplessness there, which is, you know, oftentimes if they're older adults, they're like, I don't want to learn all this computer stuff. I just want somebody to help me. You may have seen that, which is, I, you know, at my age, I don't want to have to learn some new thing. I just want somebody else to help me all the time, every time. And that can be super frustrating for staff because you say, I don't have time to, to walk through this same stuff with this person every single day. How do I, how do I log on to the computer, which they should know at this, this stage? A couple things. One, the cheat sheets, the templates, et cetera. Two, can you partner them with somebody, another patron who has infinite pa patience? Can you partner them with another colleague who's more patient than you and can, can start over with them? Can you say, that's the best I can do in terms of helping you? Follow the cheat sheet, follow the template, follow the approach. Here's a video, which I'd like you to take some notes about because that's the best way for you to learn it and be a little tough love on them in terms of embracing some of the technology if they want to use the technology. And so that's sort of the challenge is sometimes they want the benefit of being able to watch a, a Netflix movie at the library, but they don't want to go through the steps of logging on to Netflix. I think you have to say, how much patience can I have versus how much can I say, you know, I've done all I can do for you. I've given you 27 cheat sheets, 26 templates, 25, you know, steps on how to do it. I want you to grasp what we're talking about because, I, you know, I just don't have the time uh, with my demands from other patrons and the work I have to do to help you anymore. Now, that sounds harsh, but how do you get out of that situation where they're perpetually technologically confused? And sometimes they're angry about the fact that the world is complex and technical and they miss kind of the old days. That's my last one. Patrons who miss the old days at the library, and you've probably seen, and it's not necessarily just an age thing, but you may have seen Patrons who say, you know, how come we don't have a card catalog? How come I have to do everything through the internet? What is, what, why do I have to do holds through the, the internet? Why, why can't I just ask you for this? Why can't, why can't I just, you know, have you check out the book? Why do I have to use this machine? And I think sometimes what they're saying is, you know, the pace and speed of life is not what they want or expect anymore to have to deal with. I think sometimes the technology frightens them or intimidates them and they're angry about that. I think sometimes they saw the library as a place of refuge, which it was, you know, stone cold quiet all the time. And now we had kids and programs and folks, you know, having gatherings and meetings and doing stuff in the community, which they're not, they're not, they don't understand the, the, why it happens at the library. So I don't know how you fix them other than you say, we've evolved as a industry. We've evolved as a, as a, a provider to the community for the types of programs that we're trying to be. And, you know, you might say to them, you may recall in the old days that the main thing we did at the library was literacy programs for kids and literacy programs for adults, people who couldn't read. We helped them. We helped kids, you know, learn to read. Well, we're, we're moving so much farther past that based on the needs of the community and the demands of the community in terms of education and services and things and programs we provide, you know, and, and maybe what you, you do for them is convince them slowly but surely, that the, that the 
the need premise for the library has expanded dramatically to include lots of other things that some of them they may be interested in that they didn't know existed. And so I think, you know, what I have seen in this type of patron is they're grumpy about the good old days and they don't want kids in the library and they don't want noise in the library and they don't want programs in the library. They just want the old library. And you say, I hear you, recognize, acknowledge that and say, maybe there's something that we're doing here that you might find spectacularly enjoyable that I can connect you to. So those are my 12, my, my kind of expanded version of the usual challenging 10, or the usual challenging 12, the usual challenging 15 I talk about either in podcast webinars or, or training programs. So thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security podcast. My thanks to the producer of this podcast, Steve Hargadon. And for more information about Steve uh, Hargadon and me, uh, you can certainly visit Library 2.0 at library20.com. You can always reach out to me through askdrsteve at library20.com. That's just like it sounds, askdrsteve at library20.com, and that'll come to me as, a, uh, as an email. Uh, until then, Dr. Steve Albrecht, thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast.